Welcome to Dark Tides, a weekly improvised audio drama series that uses role-playing game mechanics. I am your host, show creator, and narrator, Aubrey Lydon. Now this week, before we begin, I will issue another content warning. Uh, we stopped doing them for a while because things got kind of tame, but I'm kind of ratcheting up the tension now, so this means, you know, the, the vibrant possibility of character death and trauma. So uh, if those things are not good for you as a listener, don't listen. <laughs> Uh, with me, as always, are my co-hosts, the stars of the show, Chester Lydon and BJ Ingate. I almost got the last names mixed up. <laughs> we should do that one time and see if see if the audience actually notices. Oh, I'm sure they would. <laughs> Hello, my name is BJ Ingate. I play Alistair Stern, a 19-year-old emo with no friends and no job security. Ali works as a night watchman for his father, the mayor, doing ob jobs around the town while in his free time in secret pursuing his true calling as an amateur cryptozoologist and detective of the supernatural running out of breath. <laughs> Hey. I'd just like to interject, uh, because you guys ruin the flow of my intros all the time. I thought I'd do it this week. I think Ali has a fair amount of job security because no one else is willing to put up with his dad. That's a really good point, actually. His job security is the fact that no one else will do this job. <laughs> yeah, he literally can't possibly lose his job to anyone else. That's a good point. Because he's just really a, like a live-in servant for the council. Yeah. See, I didn't think... I didn't think clearly on a deep enough level when I was writing my intro. I was just like, oh, that sounds funny. It is. But, yeah, good point. There mm. you go. <laughs> Alistair will have a job for life. Yeah. <laughs> terrible, terrible job. Not a good thing. <laughs> Coming up after Randy's accidents. <laughs> Hi. How you doing? How are you doing? It's me. I play Ernest Marsh. This is me, Chester. <laughs> How you doing? A lifelong Boy Scout and nature enthusiast who has been given a chance to fulfill his lifelong dream of becoming a park ranger. This dream has led him to the Hook Bar Archipelago. Sorry, is that Chester Lydon or Ernest Marsh? You didn't specify. Do we have fun facts or we just I want do. to keep rolling on? I do now. I said just before we started recording that I didn't. I do. I have one now. So Whoa. I'm going to tell that you the quick. story. It oh, was quick. no. Came Not another it. story. That, that's Let me all a fun fact is. It's just a short story. Yeah, but yours aren't short. <laughs> anyway, Alistair's fun fact for today is that his first car that he learnt to drive on was not the car that he owns currently. Uh, so we we met in episode 16, we met Uncle Marv. And Uncle Marv taught Alistair to drive because we could all imagine why his father wouldn't want to teach him to drive. Ali, no, no, brakes first. Brakes first, Ali. He had, he had one session with his dad and then was like, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to uh, ask Uncle Marv. So anyway, Uncle Marv taught him to drive uh, on his on his various paddocks and things. Um, and he, he Which Marv doesn't own. He basically... <laughs> no. There are other no, people's paddocks. Now look, this land does belong technically to the supermarket, but as far as I'm concerned, it's free property. He also can't prove that the government doesn't own it, so like... That's look, I haven't home. been shown a lease, and I refuse to acknowledge anyone else's ownership of sacred ground. <laughs> <laughs> so... He basically built Alistair like a paddock basher was his first car. He just like he had he had an engine over there. He had a few wheels over there. The front and the back axles didn't match, but that didn't matter. He had like big four-wheel drive wheels on the back and like little car wheels on the front. BJ's doing car talk and I don't understand what an axle is. Uh, the turning is a little bit crunchy there, Ali, so uh, just <laughs> don't worry about that. It'll yeah, be good. It went to the left really well. The right, not so much. <laughs> yeah, well, luckily uh, in the archipelago, we only turn left. <laughs> we drive on the left-hand side of the road and we only turn left. It's quick of a traffic alley. So anyway, this is how Alistair learned to drive, which is also how he learned to street race because... <laughs> Like, you know, he, he got quite quick. Um, 
That car doesn't exist anymore because he rolled it one too many times, <laughs> learning to drift on his uncle's paddock um, and, like, ran over a sheep. And <laughs> I don't know. Alistair bad... hates animals. <laughs> I mean, Alistair hates animals. So it was an accident. Mm. He didn't mean to roll the car. Anyway, it, it ended up in a tree. Alistair was fine somehow. The car, like, <laughs> broke in half because it was only welded together very shoddily. And so at that point, Alistair decided, well, you know... I'll go for my P's test and also get my own car. Um, yeah, that's that's how that happened. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, now, do you have a quicker story, Chester? Is I Aubrey going to interrupt this one and extend it? Possibly. Is he? Possibly. He might. You I'll look for any excuse to play, Marv. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was going to talk today about Ernest's relationship with his father. Oh, no. Mm, yes. So, Ernest's father, his name is Derek. Derek Marsh. And he is an IT man for Telstra. Oh, no. Ernest... He's a real villain here. Ernest and his dad love each other very much. They don't understand each other. They don't really talk that much. But there is there is a considerable amount of love. Ernest doesn't understand what his dad does. And his dad doesn't understand where the obsession with the outdoors has come from. <laughs> because his dad is a typical nerd. So... Cut that. We have had <laughs> Ernest's dad on the podcast, right? We have. In I've forgotten what his voice was. He's just this typical, like, 70s dad of talk to your mother, mm. call your mother. Oh, uh, Ernest, I, I think you really should have um, called a bit earlier. I remember that bit. <laughs> I think he needs, like, a slight lisp, just a little bit to differentiate himself from every other father figure that I play in this <laughs> podcast. Because he had Because they all sound the same. No, he had braces. Yeah, adult braces. He still has yeah. braces. He's, no, he has braces into his late 30s, but has recently had them off. Well, he's and a free man. he doesn't understand, like, how he opens his mouth a bit too much and his, <laughs> his tongue kind of flails a little bit. In another uh, 20 years, he'll be talking normally. Yeah, he'll be talking like he did when he had the braces. Just before he gets dentures. <laughs> <laughs> no, he has perfect teeth. <laughs> yeah, of course. He would. He would. He would. The, the the, um, the braces were because of an overbite, but the teeth are like in perfect order. So it's just like, yeah, slight overbite. So they had like the bands on to pull the, the bone jaw back, type yeah. of thing, all that type of stuff. Uh, yes, yeah, so this is the beginning of the end of season one of Dark Tides. Undisclosed amount of episodes remaining, but this is the beginning of the end arc. Uh, so we will go ahead and we will uh, we'll dip a toe in the water of the rising tide. Oh, uh, he's been working boo, on that for a week. Boo. No, I haven't. If, if I had been working on it... copious pages of notes are. If I had been working on it for a week, it would have been a pun. Mr. Pop... of Hookbar, deep in the mountainous woods, a man is standing watching the storm roll in. He was once Chief Ranger Lester, but no more. That part of himself, those memories, have been dripping away for the past weeks and months. Now there is only a shell and a force, a will that is not his own. He feels this will pull on him, telling him that it is time. The tide is rising. It's time to take the child. 
On the north side of the island of Hookbar, in the abandoned timber mill, the sanctuary. Inside the large, rusting central warehouse, the children of the tide have gathered. They are sat upon the ground in rings, their faces raised to the roof, their fingers in the ground, in the dirt. At the centre of this circle stands Gil Pender, the blonde mop of hair, his misty eyes. The children sway, they chant in a low hum together in unison, while Gil's voice rises above them. The time has come, my fellow children. Mother commands us, as the tide rises and all is consumed, we are to rise above. Survival of the fittest, as nature demands, we are the fittest. It is our right to take hold of the world left behind. But children, if we are to float on this tide, mother has made it clear. The boy must die, or we will be swallowed along with the rest. So now I tell you, I call you. We must prove that we are the fittest. We must take our survival by the throat and do whatever is necessary. Steal yourselves, my children. The time to act has come. Meanwhile, in the basement of a fish processing plant on the edge of the docks in Port Staples, Dr. Pike stands in her makeshift workstation. It's a low-ceilinged concrete room with large drainage grates in the floor. Her overhead improvised strip lighting buzzes eerily. The walls are lined with stainless steel workbenches, specimen jars, and steel cages. The air is thick with the smell of dozens of living creatures, underlined by an acidic tang of industrial formaldehyde. Dr. Pike is crouched on the ground. She's poking her finger into a small cage. The creature from within covered in shadows, hisses and swipes at her. How cute. Where did you say you found this one? Mayor Stern stands sheepishly in the doorway, eyeing the cage with little trepidation. Oh, uh, it's just a stray. I found it skulking around in my yard. I'm not much of a cat person. You know, allergies. Dr. Pike smiles, her wire-framed glasses flashing in the light. Well, I always appreciate a new test subject. Which brings me to my reason for calling you, Mr. Stern. Uh, that's uh, Mayor Mallory Stern. You can just call me Mayor Stern. Yes. There is a small boy in town. He is pivotal to my research and to the success of our little venture. Without him, it would be a waste of time, all this work. You understand? So we need to secure him before my former colleagues can abscond with him. Mayor Stern is obviously a little, a little shaken. He says, um, yeah, uh, whoa, okay. uh, hold up, uh, you need a, a kid for this research? That sounds a little uh, unethical. Uh, I'm really not sure uh, if I can be any, any, any part of that. Not just any child, a specific little boy. One who is uniquely gifted. He is the final step in developing the cure you are so desperate to have. I swear on my life, Mayor Stern, no harm will come to the boy. Well, I, I see. Well, uh, I, I suppose if, if it's the only way, and if you're sure nothing bad will happen, uh, then for the greater good, uh, perhaps his parents will understand. The greater good, precisely. But uh, uh, how are we going to find him? Well, we simply follow the scent. 
Dr. Pike crosses to one of the larger cages. Pulling aside a cloth, she reveals a young woman clinging to the bars, dark mucus stringing from her eyes, her nose, her mouth, in a terrible mask. The lost gives a rattling shriek. You see, it's that easy. Turn now to Marv's little hideaway in the bush. Uh, he is standing on the ground, motioning with his arms as Ernest and Alistair drive the small tractor that is used to pull the boat in and out of dock. Uh, uh, no, no, a little bit to the left, Ali. Uh, Ali, Ali, no, a little bit to the no, no, Ali. Come <laughs> Marv, I got it. It's fine. <laughs> you hear a scrape of metal as you just like push the boat past a fridge that knocks over. He's like, it's, a little, oh. it's a little tight, but it'll work. It's fine. Oh, Sheila. You, you weren't going to use that fridge for anything, were you? Uh, you never know. You <laughs> never know when a fridge will come in handy. It's not the fridge, Ellie. Yeah. <laughs> it's Sheila I'm worried about. Don't worry, the fridge will be fine. Ernest is sitting, like, hands, like, facing hands, listening to the scraping sound of metal. As Alistair and Marv yell at each other. <laughs> yes, to recap, uh, you both are at roughly half health and a fairly significant amount of stress. All right, you get the, the boat back into the shed. Marv starts polishing, trying to get rid of the scratches down the side from Alistair's driving. <laughs> Alistair's polishing the fridge door. <laughs> For some reason, just fridge doors are in Alistair's life a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, meanwhile, Ernest, you totter out to your your Ranger-issue Jeep and you find your phone, you find your snacks, you uh, are prepared to have a little rest. When you turn your phone on, uh, you see that you have a number of missed calls. Three from Gina, four from Bernie, and one from Randy. <laughs> Ernest, in me, is like, oh, no, Randy. <laughs> Well, we're done. If it's Randy, oh, Gina gets mad usually, but if it's Randy... Uh, you don't have any messages left. Ernest uh, switches on his phone. It's like, hmm. Well, Gina will yell. Bernie... Uh, yeah, yeah. Randy... Mm. Ernest is going to call Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Yeah. You You call Nancy... Um, there is a pause. The phone rings for a little bit. You're chewing on a on a protein bar. You're watching uh, Alistair polish a fridge. Marv is hugging the side of the boat. Um, and actually, no. I think by this point, Alistair's trying to get the um, the floppy disk thing to like. He's searching around Marv's equipment and like trying to plug things into things and trying to get it to work. And you're finding rice to put your phone in. Yep. Yes, I put my phone in a bag of rice. Uh, all right. We're going to have to roll for rice at some point here. We will. Uh, we'll do that next. <laughs> rice roll! All right, the, uh, the phone rings and rings, and when it's picked up, you hear uh, Nancy, and she goes, Oh, uh, yes, Ernest, uh, good, good to hear from you. Uh, we've got a little bit of a situation on our hands. Uh, Hello, Nancy. Uh, hi, Ernest. Yeah, this, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, yes. Uh, great. 
Could you please find Alistair um, and get over here quickly? Uh, he's kind of ricing his phone at the moment. Is everything okay? I got a lot of calls. All right, I was in a submarine. Rice in a submarine. Um, no, we're, we're not in the submarine yet. We got out. Okay. I've suffered severe acid burning and a series of other things, but, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um... Alright, I don't know how to process that. I've got you don't too need much to. in okay. my head yeah, right now. Yeah, it's fine. Look, don't worry about um, it. I'm sorry to add to it. Yeah, uh, Wilbur's not, not doing very well. Maria called us, and um, we've been trying to get on to everyone else. He's not doing well. Look, we're at the... Is he, like, sick? What's... Uh, you, I guess you could say that. Look, we're at the Tall Pine Motel where, where Maria and Wilbur have been staying. Um, we're a little bit worried, and we were thinking... Uh, but just having everyone all hands on deck you know so if you could get Alistair and you could get over here as quickly as possible I would uh, really appreciate that uh, in the background you can hear Randy yelling at Bernie I don't care listen we, we gotta do something uh, how do you, how do you, how do you uh, fix a broken child uh, do you uh, uh, give her water do you give it uh, petrol no not petrol no, no definitely not that <laughs> just, uh, just as f- quick as you can That would be that would be fantastic thank you uh, okay, well, uh, we will get there as as soon as we can. We just have to deal with a bit of a hobo, and then we'll be uh, with you. See you in a minute. <laughs> Click. Who's that? Alistair's saying he's going to put up a finger to Alistair, and he's going to dial Gina. All right, the phone picks up immediately, like the first call. And she goes, Ernest, I have called you about six times. Where have you been? Hello. Don't you hello me. <laughs> mm. Is this Ernest laughing or is no, this Chester laughing? It's just a laughing. Uh, hi, Gina. Uh, we we were at the split fin. Look, cut the crap. Is that Gina? Yeah, Ernest, yeah, is that Gina? yeah, it's Gina. Tell Alistair to shut up. Alistair, shut up. Well, I was just asking. Look. It's not too much to ask, is it? I'm at the motel too. Nancy just said that you were talking to her. I don't know why you didn't call me first. I am your boss. You should be calling me first. Anyway, get over here. I don't know how to deal with children. I'm not good with children. She hangs up. Hmm. What did Gina want? Was that Gina? Just holds up a finger and dials Bernie. Uh, The phone does not pick up. It just rings and rings and rings. Mm. Alistair walks over. I'm not going to ring Randy. Hey, what's, what's going on? Was that Gina? What's she? Uh, yeah, so I got like a bunch of calls from everyone. Uh, apparently, right. Wilbur is like sick or something like that. Right. And everyone, I don't, I don't know why they haven't called a doctor or something, but they want us there. Oh. I know. I, like, like today or? Well, like since we were in the, the submarine. Oh, like like mm- urgent? Apparently, they want us there now. Oh, okay. Uh, do you do you want to head? Like, I'm, I can go. We should probably... Like, I'm, I'm cool to go. Yeah, whenever. my boss is quite angry, so we, we should go now. All right, hey, Mom! What? Leave me! All right. I'll see you later! Come back for dinner. Maybe! All right. Don't tell your dad. Come on, Sheila! Oh, Sheila. <laughs> we better go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you, you head off. Number seven barks at you as you leave. Bye, seven. A wolf. Woof, woof. Anyway, <laughs> um, you head off. You were going over. Man, why do I even add sound effects? <laughs> uh, before we. <laughs> a wolf. A wolf wolf. <laughs> Pop song. 
<laughs> Can I roll for rice bag? Yeah, roll for rice bag. Rice bag is... Uh, it's taking the moisture out, but it's not working yet. It's not turning on roll yet. Roll the six. All right. We'll roll again uh, at another point. So it hasn't been long enough. All right. You are heading over rough terrain up and down these sort of uh, dirt tracks. Oh, my head. Uh, it is It is approaching late evening. It is still summer, so um, it's maybe about about 6.30. There's maybe an hour of light left, but it is sort of almost twilight now. The sky is orange and purples, and you can see the storm clouds are rolling in. They have uh, reached the further out islands of the archipelago, uh, and you think in, within an hour or two, the rain will probably arrive. Uh, are you guys doing anything while you're in the car? Hey, Ernest. I'm definitely not complaining about the speed because I'm worried about how quickly we need to get there. Um, hey, can I borrow your phone? I just want to call my dad. Yep. All right, thanks. I'm going to roll to see if I remember my dad's number. All right, an eight or up. Okay, I dial what I think is his number. Hello? Dad, is this you? Hello, Southern Rise Kebabs. What do you want? Oh, um, hey, do you know my dad's number? Who are you? Alistair. The, oh, the Alistair. Number. Yes, Alistair. I know you. I know your dad. Do you have his number? Uh, your usual order, yes. No, his phone number. My dad's phone. I need his... I don't... My phone's off and I need Hold to call on. him. <laughs> you hear him rummaging around. Uh, yes, he is in our books. Here you go. Thank you. It is <laughs> five, 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 five. I was so close. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call my dad. <laughs> I knew there wasn't a one at the end. All right. Uh, you ring your dad. It, it takes a little while. Uh, it picks up, and it sounds like he's been jogging or something. He's a little out of breath, and you can hear him. You can. It sounds like he is stumbling through long grass or something. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, hello. This is uh, Mayor Stern. Hey, Dad. Uh, dad. Oh, uh, it's Al- me. It's me, Ali. Sorry, I'm using Ernest's phone. Mine's a uh, little, little. Oh, I was about to say I don't normally pick up uh, unknown phone numbers, Ali. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just letting you know uh, I'm probably not going to be home for dinner. That's fine. I wasn't going to be either. I'm a little, little bit busy. I just had a yeah. I, I won't keep you. I just had a question. Um, that doctor, Doctor Pike. I was just wondering. I needed to. Um, I got a basically just errand that I had to run in town, and I had to. Do you know where she's staying? Um, or where she works sorry Ali the reception is getting worse dad you can Um, hear me perfectly well I know you're busy but don't use that dad put the stop it stop it put the phone back to your ear dad Uh, sorry gotta go he hangs up (laughs) alright well that didn't work well he answered that's better than I was expecting all right, you you are burning rubber as you get onto real roads heading into town. You screech along. Uh, you make your way to where, Alistair, you know where uh, Tall Pines Motel is. Ernest, you've never been here. This is kind of on the outskirts uh, of the town proper. And since there is not a lot of tourist-ing happening, uh, <laughs> they're pretty empty. So as you pull up uh, tall pines is a modest collection of small separate cabins arranged in a line with a parking lot in front off at the far end the far right hand side there is a little check-in office um, an amenities building that sort of thing uh, you can see towards the front of these row of cabins uh, there are two police cars parked and a large rental suv that you remember being uh, used by the two professionals 
All right, they uh, they screech up into the parking lot, and Ernest gets out and immediately just starts filling his pockets with stuff that's in the car. He takes the weird Rubik's cube and he stuffs it in a pocket. He grabs a medical kit. He grabs a second set of keys he grabs everything that's in his car and just stuffs them into all of his pockets and it's like alright let's go uh, alright sure yes you um, mount the little little steps to the porch of this little cabin they're very rustic kind of log cabin-esque they're obviously supposed to be you know a little bit old fashioned for people coming to the island for hiking and fishing tours and these sort of things you can see that the little little lace curtains have been pulled aside and you can see Randy's face peering out through the curtains at you. Uh, he makes he makes a fairly obscene gesture at you. <laughs> <laughs> and then waves. And very then waves very, yeah, waves very friendly. The door is open just before you can knock and Bernie is standing in the doorway. Uh, he says, uh, good, you should probably come inside. Um... As he stands aside for you to enter, this is a pretty small room. Uh, it's kind of a living room slash kitchen slash dining room. You can see that there's probably a bathroom and a bedroom or two uh, towards the back of this small space. And the room is pretty well crowded with people. You see Bernie, of course, Randy, Nancy. You see uh, Charlotte and also Gina behind them. One of the bedroom doors is ajar and you can hear uh, a voice that you recognise as Maria's softly singing something. Everyone looks quite serious and grave. Um, Mutton Chop guy isn't there. I can't forget his name. McAllister, no. McAllister is not there. there. McAllister's not there. Okay. Ernest walks into the room and is kind of hit by the atmosphere of it and is immediately very uncomfortable in the situation. It's just like kind of like half waves like lower like around his stomach like he's waving from there like just looking around a little bit and then looks at the the half open door all right bernie closes the door behind you and he puts his hands on his hips he's wearing his they're all wearing their normal police uniform uh vest utility ish belt i think you call it a utility belt yeah uh, and he puts his hands on his hips and he says... Randy is um, not. Randy is wearing his bomber jacket and... Same as always. ...none of his other stuff. Bernie puts his hands on his hips and says, Look, uh, this is kind of new territory for all of us, but Wilbur is not doing well. And we are worried by a few of the things that he is saying. Um, so we thought all hands on deck and we are basically waiting the next ferry arrives first thing tomorrow morning so we need to get him through the night and then we're going to get him off the island they wanted to wait for longer for uh mcallister and charlotte to be able to try and get a proper hold of dr pike but first things first if he's in danger um we're going to try and get him out okay well what about a like an ambulance or something not that kind of sick um, well, maybe, maybe you better see. He leads you to the door and very quietly he opens it and you can see Maria is sitting on the edge of this double bed and lying on top of the covers is Wilbur. He looks very pale and like he has been in a cold sweat. His hair is sort of slicked back and he is mumbling to himself indistinct words and his eyes are completely glazed over white. 
Maria is kind of holding his hand and kind of rubbing his arm a little bit and singing to him, trying to calm him, but he seems to be having some kind of fit. As Bernie kind of half closes the door again, he says very quietly to you two, uh, he's been talking about, well, a lot of that same stuff that the, you remember the children of the tide were talking about, about uh, tides rising and um, bad stuff, and he keeps saying that they are coming and things to that effect, so we're a little worried that some of the uh, lost... Uh, might be showing up, so we thought if we have everyone here, we can best defend him if it comes to that and get him out of here. Um, okay. McAllister is still on reconnaissance. He was, I know that he said he was uh, tracking your dad, looking for a lead on Dr. Pike. We haven't heard back from him in a while, though. Uh, Brett is at the ranger station trying to hold down the fort there, uh, but yeah, everyone else is here. Uh, um, have you have you tried like can we get a can we get a helicopter ambulance in like can we can we airlift him out just to get him out of here quicker is that have you tried that to get a helicopter out here to pick him up is going to take about as long as it would be to get the uh, about as long as it would be to get the ferry so we also don't want to uh, advertise the fact that we are getting him out of here because that could hurry things along he seems to be stable enough at the moment uh, Maria said that he's been going in and out of these fits more and more but this one's been about the last three or four hours does anyone else know he's here we don't think so we've tried to keep it very hush hush but Ernest is strolling into the room and walks up to the bed he kind of nods at Maria and then looks at Wilbur and he takes he pulls up the sleeve of his jacket up to his elbow. Ernest is going to reach out and grab Wilbur's hand. All right, roll for me. The small hand in yours is cold and clammy, and you begin to tip forwards, as you have done in the past, where you are tipping into someone else's memories. And as the process begins... You're kind of getting a little bit more used to this now, this sort of feeling of gravity taking you down. And as it begins, it's like something grabs a hold of you and you are pulled down faster than you have ever been pulled before. Something is dragging you in through Wilbur. Uh, You feel cold flashes like water being splashed over you. Uh, You can smell this musky, acrid scent like rotting plant life. You catch glimpses of dark water and figures in the water, a strange purple light reflected on a ceiling, and you become aware of the presence of hundreds of bodies around you. And you hear in your mind not so much a voice but an idea, a pressing drumbeat of willpower that seems to be pushing and commanding you and it's pulling you towards Wilbur. You reel back, pulling yourself back up and out of Wilbur's mind, his own feelings and memories, and you're back to yourself. Uh, Stumbles back and grabs a hold of the bed frame to steady himself. I feel like Alistair hears that and walks in. What happened? Is everything okay? Maria says, what what did you do? What happened? Uh... Uh, well, I don't completely understand it, but um, when I touch 
people or things, I, I get flashes. I... Um, he's going to turn to the open door and kind of call yeah. out to everyone. Everyone's looking at you. Whatever the... Whatever's controlling the lost, it's screaming out. It is... It is yelling for him. It is drawing everything it has, everything under its control it has towards him. It wants him now. They're coming now. All right. They all look at each other. Nancy speaks up. She says, I don't know that we can wait for the ferry. I think we need to get him in a boat and get moving. I mean, police escort, we could. We could commandeer the ferry on its way. We could meet it halfway or or something. Ernest points at Alistair. Alistair's uncle has a boat. We were just using it. It's a pretty large boat. We could take three or four people on it. They they all nod. Gina crosses her arms and says, I think I think we need to get Maria and Wilbur out of here as fast as possible. If we can get to Alistair, can we call your uncle? Can we have him prepare the boat while we get Wilbur there? Um, we can. I would just... No, no. We He is in the forest. There's not a good place to be taking him. He has to move the boat to a more public area. And we meet him there, right? We meet him Look, there. We cannot go into the into the forest. Ernest, I understand the concern, but I honestly don't think that these things particularly care about being public or not. But we are, like, if we're in the forest, we're in their territory. Here, we, we can at least use cars. We can use streets. We can we can rely on that. We can rely on the, the ability that gives us for mobility. In the forest, Ernest, uh, where Elsa holds his hand out, and he's like, okay, good idea. I don't know if we can get in touch with him. If I can call him, we'll get him to meet us in the marina or, or the docks somewhere more public, somewhere where there's more people, maybe there's more help. If not, I think getting him out of here as quickly as possible is better than waiting. So I'm going to roll again for my phone. All right. An 11 this time. All right. It recovers. Uh, the screen is a bit damaged. It's like you're going to have to replace the screen probably, but functioning. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to call my uncle. All right, uh, you call Marv. It takes a while for him to pick up. When he does, you can hear number seven barking. Uh, hello. The the dog is barking in the background. Hello, you have reached the home of, of Marv, and uh, he is not home right now. Marv, it's me, Ali. Please. Oh, thank you. I thought, I thought you were the tax man, Ali. No, it's not me. Look, um, Marv, I need me. to... This is really important. Um, are you Are you still at home? I don't go very many other places, Ali. Of course. Silly question. Um, look, uh, I don't have time to tell you now, but I've got a bit of a, a bit of an emergency situation. Oh no, Ali! What did you do? No, it, it's it's okay. It's not me. I'm not in trouble. Um, but uh, it I, sounds like you might be. There's a there's a very sick boy in the town, and we need to get him to the mainland in a hurry, and we don't have enough time to wait for the ferry. Could you take him on your boat? Is is Sheila ocean worthy? Oh yes, Sheila is ocean ready. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we can do this. Listen, I know there's a storm, so if you say it's nah, too dangerous... storm schmorm. That's not a problem. All right. Um, <laughs> it'll be that big fish that's the problem. He's been following me home. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't think he liked me dynamiting him. Right. <laughs> didn't work too well. But I didn't want to alarm you. You boys seemed a little bit tired. Okay. Would yeah, have been be fine. Don't worry about it. He hangs right. up. 
Okay. Um, you you wait a beat and then the phone starts ringing and it's Marv again. I answer. Uh, just uh, so we're clear, am I coming to you? Are you coming to me? Yeah, that'd be... Yes. Um, okay, where is so, the boy? So uh, we're just out of town. I'm not going to say where we are. We're just out of town. Um, okay, how, how quickly can you get to the marina? Because we can... If you can get there before we can drive to you, then we'll meet you at the main docks. Otherwise, uh, we'll come to you. Give me 20 minutes. Oh. Mm. All right, let's say 40. 40 to be safe. I'll be there in 40 minutes. Don't want you waiting. Uh, okay. Sounds good. Just just a sec, Marv. Just a sec. I put the phone on. Okay, Marv can... My, my uncle can be at the docks in 40 minutes. Is that soon enough? Uh, as you announce this to the room, Randy, who has been peeking through the curtains this entire time, turns around and says, uh, ah, we've got company. Alistair puts the phone back to his ear. Uh, scrap that, Marv. We're going to meet you at your place, uh, as soon as possible. Uh, sure thing. I'll have the, uh, I'll have the sheila in the water and ready to go. I'll bring some beer. Um, we'll see if I can find a few. Quick as you can, Marv. Quick as you can. And I hang up. You, the two of you move to the, the little shade curtains uh, that Randy is peeking through. Very, very obviously peeking through. <laughs> He's not being subtle at all. He's got his cheek pressed against <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and you can hear him kind of mumbling to himself. You hear the crunch yeah, of tires on gravel. He's not looking good at all. Um, <laughs> and you watch as four cars are pulling into the parking lot. Uh, and they are not bothering to park in places. They are spreading out to block the other cars from reversing, and they are sort of fanned out as you watch people are beginning to get out of the cars. If we get out of here, I'm so giving them a parking ticket. Ernest, seeing this from a distance, he hasn't left the room of Wilbur. He is going to immediately start looking around, and uh, he's going to see that there is a bathroom connected to this main room, and he's going to go into it and look for a large enough back window or back door or anything like that. Uh, in the bedroom, there is a window, but it is—it uh, has a fly screen on and other things that would prevent you from getting out quickly. You can definitely get get it open. I rolled an eleven. Yeah, you find you find that window. It wouldn't be too hard to, to cut the fly screen off, get the window open. It would take a little bit of time, and you would need someone to help you get Wilbur through. But the main problem you have at the moment is that all of your cars have been blocked in by these other cars. As you are looking out the window, you can see these people getting out. They are all dressed in strange mishmashes of clothing. Some of them are wearing the blue robes that you recall as being um, the children of the tide. And in the centre, getting out of the central car, you see the blonde mop of hair and the apron of Gilpender, the leader. is going to open up the window and flick out his ranger-issued knife that just flicks out and start cutting away at the fly screen. Maria is starting to wrap Wilbur in a blanket to make him a little bit easier to, to carry, and Charlotte has... You you didn't realise before, she's take, she takes off her coat, her, her heavy raincoat, and she is wearing one of those uh, almost like old-school police-issue... Uh, yeah, like a, a brown leather shoulder holster with what looks like a pretty heavy caliber pistol in it. Yeah, she is preparing absolutely to go with Maria and Wilbur 
Ernest clicks his finger at Nancy and points at the boy and says, can you, and like nods his head at the window and points a chart and is like, you obviously know what you're doing. Nancy, I trust you more than anyone else here. Bernie goes, uh, guys, I feel like, Bernie, I really? love you, but... Uh, oh, that, that's really nice. Uh, yeah. I love you too, Ernest. Thanks, I love you as well. well I already said that. Um, now, we get him out. There, Everything's coming. If none of us get out of here, you two take him. You take him to the docks. And he's going to like uh, open up his pocket and take out anything from his wallet. He takes out a business card and he kind of scribbles down the directions to get to Marv's. And he gives it to Nancy. Right. As you were doing that, uh, Bernie grabs... Alistair by the arm, he kind of pulls him aside and says, um, uh, listen, Ali, uh, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to see if I can stall them or talk them out of this. Uh, police uh, trading. Look, whatever happens, uh, I need you to make sure that Wilbur gets out of here and you you make sure you keep them safe, okay? I will. I, I will. Okay, um... We need a car, though, Bernie. So, what if... Here is what I would do. Um, if you're going out the back, go right, head behind the cabins, stay low, get all the way up to the office. There should be a car there. Old Jimmy Barnes. Nope, can't call it Jimmy Barnes. <laughs> Jimmy Barndor. <laughs> uh, old Jimmy Selleck, he should be in the office. Take his car. Said it. Say it's a police emergency, a medical emergency, doesn't matter. Tell him that Bernie said, take the car... Bernie will look after it, all right? Okay. Now, um, yeah, you, you stay safe. Uh, Randy, stay at the door. Keep me covered. You got it, don't you worry. Yep. Ernest is going to walk up to Jean and be like, okay, uh, what do you need me to do? <laughs> she, um, she, she looks at you and says, all right, priority number one, we are getting the child out. You, hmm. Alistair walks over. Ernest, are you, I'm... I'm going to go next. I'm going to sneak out the back while Bernie's Bernie's going to go have a chat to um, Gil. I'm going to go see if I can get a car. Do you want to come with me as backup? Uh, Ernest looks back to Gina. Gina holds up her hand. She says, look, right now we should be more worried about the lost than we are about those nutcases. Now, don't get me wrong. I think they're dangerous but I'm more worried about us splitting up and someone getting picked off in the woods. Why don't we just take take Ernest's car? It's right outside. Or are they blocked in? They're by? all blocked in. They're all blocked in. Okay. Uh, Gina, I was thinking if we go and get a car now, we can bring it back by the time you've got Wilbur ready and then we can all go together. Look, that sounds like a good plan, but just stay close and keep an eye out if you're going out the back. Yep. All right. I'm going to stay will. here. I'm going to try and make sure that everything runs smoothly if Bernie needs help I'll be there or if sure you don't Maria want to come needs with help us? look I'll be fine okay now you two get out of here alright 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 so you guys um, are you going to try and go out the back window yep alright roll for me for the stealth of getting out and hiding. I have a stealth ability <laughs> which means you roll with advantage now yes. because my mechanics are severely broken I got a 12 alright this isn't the first time Alice has jumped out of a window. I've got a we said that I've, in the first episode. Yeah. I know. See, I've bringing got, it round. I've got sneaking as well. All right. Ten. 
Two. All right. Well accustomed as you both are to jumping out of windows, <laughs> uh, you cut the fly screen of the open window. You slip out. Uh, it's almost uh, it's shoulder height because this this little cabin is on blocks to keep it above the ground. So it's a fair it's a fair drop down. Um, you drop out quietly. You stay crouched as you move to the edge of the building. You can see this crowd of the children of the tide uh, fanning out in the car park and you can hear Gil calling out to the house. He says, look, I know you're in there and we just want to talk. We can sort this out peacefully. And you hear the door opening as Bernie descends uh, the steps down into the car park. Now, are you guys going to start moving along? Yep. All right, running with your initial stealth roll, uh, you move, you as you hear Bernie closing the door and you realise they're probably distracted, you make a, a quick dash to the next building and you start running along the back of it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you get to the corner, you can now see diagonally down, you can see a little more of the scene. You realise there's probably about 20, maybe 25 uh, people in this car park now. Give me a perception check. Hard to be sure, but at least a few of these people seem to be likely armed and trying to hide it. But you do hear as you're moving quietly and you're moving relatively slowly trying to make sure that you're not making any noise because if you were to get found out now, that would likely throw everything into chaos and you are not ready for that. So you're moving quietly uh, and you hear Gil speaking. He says, uh, obviously addressing Bernie, but also whoever is in the house. He says, time is running out. We need Wilbur to come with us right now. Otherwise... We cannot avert what is coming. It's the only way. I promise you I will do all I can to protect the boy. As you keep moving, uh, the angle is changing and you can kind of see more and more. Uh, You can't quite see Bernie yet, but you can hear his voice quite loud and confident. And you think back to him mentioning uh, acting skills and you're thinking he might be trying to, uh, to project a little more and kind of sound a bit more confident. Ernest is going to slowly kind of stop and he's going to prod Alistair and po- and point in the direction they're going, kind of signalling, you go. And he is going to what, reach into his pocket and kind of keep his hand in his pocket and he's going to hold up his finger and he's going to stay where he is, where he can see Bernie and Gil. Ernest, I don't, I don't think we should be splitting up at this point. He's like, what, what am I going to do? What, we don't need two people to grab a car. All right. And Alistair moves off the direction he was heading. All right. Uh, Give me a roll now for stealth as you're on your own. You continue on as you are uh, skirting around and the sound kind of drops away a little bit. Ernest, since you're staying, you hear what Bernie says in response. He says, Now listen, that little boy in there has been through more than enough and he is staying right here with his mother. What's more... You, sir, are under arrest for the murder of one Winston Wither. Ernest is going to reach into his coat and pull out one of the many things he's kept on himself, and he is going to pull out the flashbang that Marv gave him. All right, you you creep down the side of this cabin. You're at two cabins up now from the other one, and you're kind of almost at the edge of the porch looking over, and you can see uh, Bernie standing almost in a lion's den of these these children of the tide circled almost all the way around him and he is facing up to uh, Gil and there are a few people right behind Gil too. Alistair, you keep moving, you get to the end of this row of about ten cabins uh, to the the little office you find little 
Johnny, the old, very withered little old man uh, with thick, thick glasses. Uh, I believe it was glasses. Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy? <laughs> Johnny's his brother. Well, you find Jimmy and Johnny. <laughs> They're identical twins. Uh, yes, with with very thick glasses, and they're kind of looking at you, trying to like get your face into focus. Jimmy, Johnny, it's Alistair. Uh, listen, um, I need to borrow your car quite urgently. Actually, um, it's- thirty dollars a night for the rooms. No, no, the car. Yeah, yeah. thirty dollars a night. No, this is a cash police. or car. I've been sent by uh, by Officer Officer Bernie Todd. Oh, Bernie, it's a police sweetheart. Yes. Yeah, he needs the car like. So right cash now. or card? Um, requisition actually, and I take the keys off the desk and walk out. He goes, "Well, wrong keys. That's not the house keys, little." Hold. He's like tottering after you. All right, you get you uh, you get to the car. You can see the crowd. Um, what are you planning to do with the car now? Uh, I'm gonna get in. Yep. And I'm gonna message. Ernest first and say car's ready or I message Gina alright I have Gina's yeah I have yep, no she, Bernie Bernie you no, message Gina, Gina. <laughs> no Bernie I message Gina you message Gina you get a very prompt response that says that they'll they'll go out the back window yep uh, and then I and then I message Ernest and say they'll be coming your way keep them safe meet me here alright am I how, how like distance wise if I start the car is it close enough that they're going to be like, oh, someone's standing a car or far enough? They will be able to hear it go. start, but they might not think anything of it. Okay. Since I won't focus on the current start it yet, but I'm ready. All right. Back to Ernest. You were watching uh, this scene play out. As Bernie announces that uh, Gilpender is under arrest, you see a chuckle run through uh, many of the people standing around as if this is the most ridiculous thing they've ever heard. Uh, Gil himself laughs his... <laughs> uh, you're a foolish one, I'll give you that. A little too young. You really have no concept of what's coming down here, son. That boy is coming with us. Bernie... Uh, you can even from this distance you can see Bernie smile, but this is not a friendly, normal Bernie smile. This is like a wolf. And Bernie leans in. He says, "Over my dead body, you monster!" And you see almost in slow motion as Bernie takes half a step back and he goes for his gun. As he does so, you see two members of the children dart forwards. One on the left, one on the right. Uh, one of them grabs Bernie's arm. The other one grabs his shoulder. Even as you move, preparing your flashbang, you see the flash of bright steel in the evening sun and the porch lights. You see Gil pull a thin stiletto blade from his sleeve, and without hesitation, he brings it up and then flashing down as he reaches out for Bernie. You can see as he buries the knife deep between Bernie's neck and chest, Avoiding the stab vest, he stabs down, aiming for Bernie's heart. Now, I didn't forget how you scorned my hospitality. It's time for the survival of the fittest, Officer Todd. And you ain't fit. Bernie cries out, and in frozen time, the children of the tide release him. It seems to take an age, but you watch as Bernie goes rigid. His head lolls to the side and he begins to fall sideways. He crumples onto the ground, falling on his face. Gil steps over Bernie, 
and shouts into the cabin. Alright. Hard way it is. he says this, Randy jumps through the front window and Commando rolls onto the driveway in front and I rolled for him uh, and he didn't do so well so he took glass damage on the way through so he's now bleeding from cut wounds Uh, his gun is drawn, he does a Commando roll and immediately just screams and he is going to try and shoot Gil in the head and he succeeds yeah, Gil is dead. <laughs> All right, nine. Um, it wasn't a perfect success, so I'll make you roll damage. It is a he- you definitely hit him in like the head and shoulder area. So roll a d twenty yes. for me of damage. <laughs> yes, ten damage. That's not very much. All right, it takes him uh, in the top of the shoulder through the bone or like the the, the shoulder bone. And you see he's it's close range. He is flung backwards onto the ground, and with a roar, the twenty odd members of the Children of Tide start charging forwards. You bastard Gil! I'm gonna get you! He says this after he <laughs> shot him. <laughs> so Earth kind of pokes his head around, chucks a pokes his head back around. Alright, uh the flashbang. You you hear the gunshot. You you were starting to throw even as Bernie hit the ground. You heard the smash. Your armor's already in motion. You've lobbed it over. Just Roll for how perfectly you place it. Regardless, it'll do what you're intending. But all right, with a ten, you position it pretty well at the back. Uh, there is a split second as someone is hit in the head with this thing. <laughs> you hear Ow! Ow! What, what? Oh no! And then bang! <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but that, because they say that, that lets everyone else turn towards them, so they're looking at the... <laughs> yeah, uh, about about 10 of the 20 people uh, turn to see the flashbang as it explodes. Everyone is deafened, about half of them are blinded, there is smoke and haze, and even your ears, even if you, though you've plugged them, they are ringing a little. Now, flashbangs bang is pretty intense. Yep. Like, they're not seen for a little bit. Do I need to roll damage yeah. for Randy as well, or like half damage or something? Uh, roll to see if he has time to avoid it. With police training, I'd say he has a reasonable chance. He so. also has sunglasses. Nah, too. He's, too. he's too enraged, he doesn't know. He's, he's going straight for Gil again. <laughs> um, with the bang, as this happens, Ernest, you see as the bang goes off and people begin to kind of drop and stumble... Uh, you see a figure, a large figure, dart out of the door and down the steps, and you can see it's Nancy going straight for Bernie. Ernest is then going to, because of the position of where he parked and where he is, because he's moved a few houses down, I believe because he was the last person to arrive, his car would have been further along in the car park, so I believe he'd be pretty close to his car. Yeah, you're probably about, uh, let's say, 20 metres from your car, okay, and then Ernest- about 10 metres on to this whole situation. Yeah, okay, Ernest is going to use his nature survival, which is all that type of stuff, and using the adrenaline, he's going to sprint to the back of his car, and it's one of those Jeep ones where it opens up and it's like a full door, open up back, and he's going to snatch out uh, Alistair's crossbow. All right, you give me a roll for how, if you're noticed, doing this. Uh, That is a six. 
So mixed result. Mixed result. All right. Most people are too blinded and disorientated, but a half, about four or five of the children see what you are doing. Um, at the moment, they're more concerned with the fact that their leader's just being shot and they're trying to get into the house. So none of them, they're aware. A couple of them are aware of what you're doing, but they're not paying a huge amount of attention. Uh, as Randy is continuing to, he's firing his gun in the air, trying to get, like, calm. Uh, he's, like, screaming, you know, like, police get on the ground. So does he get another action? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to shoot Gil again. <laughs> uh, that's a six. Right. So do I roll damage and then halve it, maybe? Uh, yeah, roll the d20 and halve it. He does one and a half damage. All right, we're rounding down, so he does one point. He shoots, and it's like it hits the ground near him and, like, spatters uh, flying rocks into Gil, who's yep. groaning on the ground and, like, holding his shoulder. It's going, oh, no. Randy is then going to do that. Maybe he thinks he hit him or something and then turned to the, all of the kids and he's like, all right, kids, stay back. And now then, to he's be clear, got blood, not- like, dripping into his eye at this point because of the glass. So he's like, <laughs> he looks like a madman. He's like, stay yeah. back. Uh, Nancy I'll do it. Is, I'll do it. Nancy has rolled Bernie over and she's left the knife in. She's trying to put pressure on the wound, but Bernie is not moving. Yeah, she's trying to, to stabilise him, but... Ernest, you can see now that you're a little bit closer. There is blood pooling around his head and soaking through his shirt down the sleeve. Uh, he is looking in a very, very bad way. Uh, all right, what is Alistair doing? You've seen you've seen Bernie drop. You've seen the flashbang go off and Randy start shooting. You've seen uh, Nancy dash out. This has all happened in about the equivalent of about five seconds. Uh, Alistair starts the car. All right, for a start. Make a perception check for me. Yep. Uh, not much. He's too busy watching the stuff. All right, you are focused on this. You've started the car, but you do you even because you are part like it's the job that you are on. You can see movement at the back of the cabin. You don't know who's moving, who's doing what, but you okay. can see movement. Yeah. All right. I will. So I don't know geography of the road, but can I pull out and like if I pull out of the driveway or where, wherever the car's parked and turn to reverse towards the fight, as in, like, facing away, ready to get out, but also getting closer to the people who are trying to get to uh, Yeah, make a car handling check with advantage because you're good with cars. Yep. Ernest uh, grabs up Alistair's crossbow, latches it, pulls it back, puts in a, a shot, but then puts the lock on and kind of hooks it onto his belt, and he's going to pull his car medical kit towards him and he's going to pull out and pocket a bunch of things and he's going to pull out a bottle of rubbing alcohol and he's going to take the shirt that he's wearing and rip off a part of the bottom and stuff it into the top and pull out his lighter and move to the edge of the door that's still open and kind of watch the events (laughs) yes i like where this is going (laughs) all right basically what you see is randy is still shooting into the crowd a few people are scrambling away a couple of them are giving Randy a wide berth, but they're going, they're streaming down the sides of the cabin. They're looking for windows. They're heading towards the back. One or two have clambered over the railings. have got past Randy. Nancy is basically mostly focused on getting Bernie stabilized as a couple of these people uh, go for the door. The door is 
pulled open and as they begin to enter, it's slammed back into them as Gina... (laughs) Yeah, as they kind of reel, the door opens again and Gina um, chest kicks one of them and she comes out with Bernie's rifle. Yes. (laughs) And you can see as she, like, smashes one of them in the head with the butt of the rifle and drops another one. Okay, so since Alice has moved closer now, he's maybe halved the distance, I'd say. Yeah, he's speeding in reverse towards about... 30 people on the ground. Can I make another perception roll? I'm looking specifically for the boy, uh, for Wilbur and Maria. Yep. Yep. And Charlotte. Uh, I don't see them. I'm too busy trying not to run off the road. Yeah, you are speeding backwards. All right, Ernest, what are you doing? So position-wise, the way I'm seeing it is as the house. Mm -hmm. There's all the people there. Then there's my car here. I'm there. And Alistair's like here with the car. Yep, at the moment. So I'll be able to see as our group moves past to get to Alistair. Yeah, make a perception check. So I'm waiting for that. Yep. Uh, it's a seven. All right, with a seven, even though you're keeping your focus primarily on what's going down in front of the cabins, as this it is turning into a full-on riot uh, with guns firing and people fighting, screaming. You can hear Gil wailing over the top of all this sound. Uh, you can hear Nancy pleading with Bernie to to stay with her as she's trying to um, trying to stop the bleeding. You glance over your shoulder and you see Charlotte leading the way as Maria is holding Wilbur to her chest and they are moving fast behind the cabins, but they are being pursued by three or four of the children. Ursa's going to take a breath and kind of steady himself. And he is going to bring the crossbow around and is going to fire it at the group that the the two chasing or the, the few chasing behind the group as then going to lob the, the Molotov cocktail in front of where they're running. Basically into them. Yes. All right, two different roles for that. Uh, you fire the crossbow it slams into the side of the cabin these people are running past but the Molotov arcs over in front of them as it smashes and fire bursts into the space one of them runs through it propelled by his momentum the other two dive to the side onto the ground Uh, the one on fire now uh, starts rolling and screaming as he's trying to put the fire out he's not taking a lot of damage from just sort of running through it but the others have definitely been disrupted you can see that charlotte is holding maria's hand and she drags him now from behind the cabins down the side and in front heading for where alistair is reversing And now that he's moved in front, kind of on the side of his car, Ernest is going to jump into the side part of his car and, like, climb over the seats to his seat and is going to turn on the car and is just going to slam his foot down into reverse to try and create as much more chaos as possible and reverse at as much speed as he can into the car behind him that they parked there to stop. Push it back a bit so he can drive in towards where Bernie is so we can try and help Bernie and also creating chaos Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, it's a 11 
All right, yeah, you manage to basically get the angle right. You shove this car backwards so it spins a little in the gravel uh, and you have a clear run to get into the middle of this fight. There are people on the ground. There are people running away. The house is now pretty much mobbed with people. Or he probably could escape as well. He, yeah, maybe he, he could get out too. Up, he could do either. Yeah. yeah, you could do either. So yeah, I'm just trying to. So and I'm going to turn on the high beams and like like punch down on the horn and screech it in. People jumping from side to side into the the fray and squeal it to a halt in front of kind of the main steps and with my foot try and like unhook the 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 handle and because it's with a, a jeep, it's the ones you pull yeah, open, yeah. And push forward, and kick the door open towards Nancy and Bernie. You see that Randy has, uh, whether he has run out of bullets or he has lost his gun, uh, Randy is basically, like, on someone's shoulders trying to, like, <laughs> trying to do, like, a wrestler move slam to the ground. Meanwhile, uh, get ya. Nancy... Get ya. <laughs> meanwhile, Nancy, who is looking unwell, she's looking pale and drawn. Nancy is full-on wrestler moves. She's just picking people up and throwing them. Uh, she's kind of standing over Bernie to stop anyone trampling him, but, like, one guy is running towards her with a chair leg. She just grabs him by the shoulders and throws him about two metres to the left. Another one is coming in. She smacks him in the face, like, just a full-face slap, grabs him and throws him to the ground. Okay. Ernest, seeing that no one's really taking his hint of, let's get in the car and go... He is going to reach around his seat and grab at the first aid kit that he left in there and will scramble over the seats, fall out of the side of the car, kind of like cut himself up on the gravel and kind of like commando, like crawling along the gravel and up the stairs towards Bernie as going to uh, see what he can do. Because I never really thought a whole heap about the mechanics of this, I've just gone with a D&D style death saving throws. Uh, of three so far, he has failed one and succeeded in one. So okay. he gets one more chance. Yep. All right. So Ernest is going to inspect it using first aid. So he is going to roll with advantage. All right. It's hard to tell because there is blood everywhere and Bernie's vest is matted into the blood and the shirt and the uh, knife is still in there. But depending on how long the knife is, you're not sure. It's most probably punctured a lung. Yep. Uh, and it's probably done a fair amount of internal damage, but it could mean that his lung is filling with blood. Uh, he is not moving. You you know th- this is beyond your pay grade. You can't do much about this at all. Alistair, you can now see where um, Charlotte and Maria and Wilbur have emerged from uh, the cabins. by the flame. Backlit the by, by, by flames and screams. Uh, you screech to a halt in the reverse... Before you have time to even come to a full stop, Charlotte has the door open and is getting Maria in. She pulls the door open herself and is already telling you to move uh, before she is in the car. Alistair immediately puts it in first gear, revs the engine. As soon as she closes the door, he's going to lock the doors as an extra protection, make sure all the windows are up, make sure no no one can get in. Um, And he's going to, at far too quickly for the fact that there's a sick child in the car screech down the road and immediately head towards where Marv's place is on the other side of town. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, give me a roll for getting him into the back of the car. Nancy is going to help you while she is also in the midst of this fight. The the children of the tide have now realized that there is no one left in the house. Gina is on the porch. She is basically trying to untangle Randy from someone. The children are pretty much, uh, they are in confusion. A bunch of them have dragged Gil and are getting into the car and starting to leave. Others seem to be chasing after, heading towards the other car where they've realized the child is getting away. Uh, they're disorganized, but they're still a threat. Mm-hmm. Randy has seen what you're doing and he's going to, like, get off the person he's on, like, throw them into a wall and then move towards you to try and defend you and keep people away from you. I got a nine. All right, you manage to haul Bernie up and into the boot of the car. You have a relatively large amount of space here um, to lay him down flat. You put the back seats down. Nancy gets in beside him to keep his head up uh, and to try and keep him as stable as possible. Ernest Uh, points at... Gina and then like cocks his thumb back to the, the other car and says help them in any way you can points at Nancy okay you keep his head up you put pressure on the roof Randy good job man uh, sure and he's going to jump into the car and is going to screech it down the road trying to like scare the children of the tide as yeah, much as they're diving can. out of the way Gina and Randy are preparing to to keep the children occupied and distracted some are still trying to fight others are not uh, you can hear people yelling far off neighbours and other people in the area who are now completely freaking out that there seems to be gunfire and screaming uh, let me just roll for something uh, all right, one of the cabins has caught fire from the Molotov. Yes! Yes! Um, Chaos! So Ernest is going to slam his foot down onto the accelerator and is going to start screeching out, using his road rage tendencies, almost drifting it into people as he manoeuvres around the cars and is going to go screaming down, hell for leather, down the main road towards that shabby little hospital that Ernest has spent way too much time in already. booking it is now full dark Uh, the headlights are illuminated this car is a bit older it's kind of a forward drive about 20 years old like an old Pajero Uh, yeah the the radio as soon as you start the car the radio starts blaring way too loud it's on like a country music station (laughs) Alice changes it to a rock station (laughs) Maria is is panting having carried her 8 year old son and been running for a little while uh, and you can hear Wilbur has not stopped mumbling this stuff under his breath. Uh, as you go screeching down this road, Charlotte holsters her gun that she had drawn. She uh, takes out her phone and she is calling uh, McAllister, uh, who does not pick up. As you continue on, roll perception for me. Eleven. I finally see something. All right. All of the electronics in the car... <laughs> start to flicker and then the radio gurgles and changes and you can hear the static is weird. This reminds you of being in the radio station and the stuff that was happening with Herb's technology uh, as garbled sounds come through the radio the headlights in the car flicker and flash and then turn off as you are now 
speeding in the complete dark. All of your gauges and everything in the car begin to go strange. They are going in odd directions. They are tipping this way and that. And then everything snaps back into focus and the lights come on. And now you can see that there is a figure standing in the middle of the road about 100 metres ahead of you. Okay, I'm going to roll perception on the figure yep. as to whether I speed up or slow down. 11 again. Right, as you're getting closer and closer, you can see that it is a young woman who's dressed more or less in rags now. As you get closer, you can see the black mucus in the eyes and coming off the mouth, and she's standing dead in the centre of the road. Alistair stamps his foot on the accelerator. All right, maybe I'll try and swerve, but I'm not slowing down. All right, roll perception for me one more time. All right, uh, you see that she's moving towards you, not turning from either side. And as your focus is on this, on how you get around her without coming off the road, you don't see until it's too late the flash of light on the side as a car comes speeding from the opposite direction and smashes into the side of you. Charlotte and you are going to take a d12 of damage. Because right. this car has spun and it has gone into There's the, the good roll, of course. What'd you roll? Ten. Jeez. She took five. So in the front seat, the um, as you spin out, you slide off the road into a ditch and then into a tree. You are shaken badly. You head for first into the steering wheel as the airbag puffs up and you are slammed backwards again in sort of a whiplash fashion. Charlotte's head is smashed on the window as um, it cracks, but she is relatively okay but concussed. In the back seat, Maria bracing herself against um, the seats and the door. She manages to hold herself and Wilbur more or less uh, safely. Uh, cutting back to Ernest. What is Ernest yep. doing? Ernest has pre-called the hospital just to tell them what's going on and he screeches into the ambulance bay and hops out, opens up the car and is yelling for for basically anyone. He's pre-called so they know that yeah, they're coming. A he's told, he's told that it's waiting. police business and so helps uh, Bernie onto the kind of the bed thing they've got there. Yeah, they get and Bernie explains on. what happened and tries to explain what they need to do. Yeah, that you are babbling at this point, and they are paramedics. They know what they're doing. They have a rough idea. Uh, they are rushing away, and you are left standing in the bay. Uh, next to you is Nancy, who is um, splattered with Bernie's blood up her arms and down her chest, and you are just standing in the light of the open uh, hospital doors. Ernest puts his hands on his knees, leans over and throws up onto the the, the concrete floor and hits him the fact that he's left Alistair to deal with Wilbur on his own and starts to run back towards the car and kind of slips in his own vomit and hits into the concrete and climbs back up and starts to try and like clamber into the car. The fact that he's on we'll just say like less than half health 
and he's had to be bloody MacGyver this episode. Until <laughs> <laughs> when MacGyvering is not his forte. And MacGyver is not his forte. And he climbs into the, the front seat and starts the car and starts backing it up. Not sure where Nancy is or what she's doing, but starts to back up anyway. Uh, make a perception roll for me. Ernest kind of backs up towards facing the exit and throws open the door and calls out, Nancy, we've, we've got to go. Uh, she turns to you and she has just this blank look on her face. She just shakes her head. She doesn't seem to have anything to say. Like, words are just not coming. She just just shakes her head. And she starts walking into the hospital. And you can see that she's sort of stumbling a little bit. She's holding her hand out to the wall, trying to steady herself, leaving a little smudges of blood from her hands behind. turns the the car back on, flicks on the high beams and tears out of the drive and uh, starts to screech back up the main road heading back towards the small little motel that they were at before to get Randy and Gina. We return to Alistair. You might have blacked out for a minute. You're not sure. You come to, you are hanging by your seatbelt. The car is almost on its side in this ditch. Uh, You can feel blood trickling from somewhere on your shoulder, maybe your neck down your face uh, and dripping through your hair onto the ground as you are almost upside down in this car. Uh, You can see beside and below you, um, Charlotte, although she didn't take very much damage, hit her head and she is groaning and moving very slowly and carefully trying to extricate herself from the seatbelt. Uh, as you do so, you feel and hear as uh, the door is opened in the back seat and Maria scrambles out with Wilbur. Uh, and roll to try and extricate yourself from the, the crash. For me. Uh, also, how... I got an eight. Um, how far... Like, how close did we get to... Marv's house. You're probably within about five minutes. Okay. You're so not far. We nearly made it. You're nearly almost probably it. to the, the dirt track. Yeah. Okay. You managed to get the um, the seatbelt off. The door that you would normally get at, like the, the driver's side door, you can't get the, the lock to turn something. It seems like you've... Is it... You are you it's are on the top the, side. I'm on the top. Um, yeah. So you are on the top side of the angle. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte is at the bottom. The, the windscreen, however, is smashed and safety glass. You you can kind of scramble over and out onto the bonnet of the car in this ditch. Okay. As you, you drag yourself out and into the grass and try to get up, you can't quite get to your feet. You're crawling almost, and you can see Maria is scrambling up uh, the bank onto the road again, and you can see the lights from this other car. And as Where is it? It's still parked. It's on the road. It's stopped. Uh, the How lights are on. Damage did it take? Because it would. It has a full feet. wraparound bull bar on the front. Ooh. It looks like this was pre-planned. Okay. And you can see, standing in the road, the same lost, the young woman with the face, and she is approaching um, Maria. Maria is backing up, still holding Wilbur swaddled in a blanket to her, uh, and she's fumbling in her jacket pocket trying to find something. And what about Charlotte? Is she out yet? Charlotte is uh, clawing her way, as you did, out onto the bonnet of the car, but she seems extremely dazed. 
Either help Charlotte or... No, okay, I'm gonna leave Charlotte to her own devices of escape and move to try and put myself between Maria and the figure. Right. Uh, roll for me to see if you can get up into your feet and make that movement. Four. I cannot. Right. You you are scrambling and stumbling. You get up onto the road. You're almost on your feet and then you fall again. Uh, Maria is backing up, but you can see now the, the, the member of the Lost... They don't seem to be in any particular hurry. This isn't like a zombie crazed rushing as if to attack. It's just uh, following, like a trotting along. Uh, you see the doors of the car open uh, and you see a woman get out. You barely paid attention all those weeks ago, but you do know that this is Dr. Pike, uh, the wireframe glasses, the very stern hair pulled back the heavy coat that she's wearing you see her step out and as she begins to approach uh, Maria pulls a snub nose revolver from her pocket and she's pointing it at Dr. Pike not at the lost and your ears are ringing painfully you can't quite hear the um, the conversation that transpires you catch phrases words things along the line of the only way and don't you dare and then you hear something that cuts through all of that. You hear your father's voice. You hear him say, Ali, 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 is that you? And you see him scrambling from the other side of the car. He shoves past the lost girl and he is running for you. 